0: It has been two years, three months, and 16 days since I last treated a patient. I'm going to kick off today's episode by saying you should listen to the episode entitled I'm Wrong and So Is Everyone Else. It's not a plug or even a particularly special episode, it's just that that episode is a preface to what this episode is going to be on. Capital T Truth is extremely difficult to establish in the human body. While we try to stay evidence-based on all kinds of medical practice, we are many generations away from understanding the human body, if we ever actually achieve true understanding at all. Every single human being is also subject to extreme bias, and therefore we have an innate talent for putting blinders on. However, providers still need to provide, so we make do with all of the drawbacks we're faced with. Today I'm going to talk about how I approach physical therapy, not how to approach physical therapy. Yes, I am completely aware about how nearly every episode up to this point is me telling people how to do things. The irony is not lost on me. Moving along. I think in order to explain how I approach physical therapy, I should probably go through the history of how my practice evolved. I'm likely to bring up things today you've heard me say before, but much of what I've said has been kind of scattered and piecemeal when it comes to today's topic. I want to put it all together now. I'm going to talk about certifications and continuing education I've taken. None of what I say will be an endorsement, only an explanation of what I did. The areas of study I chose are certainly representative of my own bias, but in isolation were not responsible for the provider I eventually became. It's the blend of coursework experience and just how my brain is wired to think. Since I was a PTA before I was a PT, I took advantage of the opportunity to work in all major settings available to me. This let me know, or more confirmed, what I thought going into the profession. Outpatient orthopedics was the setting I wanted to work in. The exposure to other settings did show me that the general focus area of providers was very different between settings. Clinical rotations in school are nice, but a serious drawback is a lack of time spent in each setting. You don't really get the opportunity to see what happens over long time spans in each setting. I found this incredibly valuable because seeing the long-term implications of how providers focused allowed me to blend various points of emphasis that don't necessarily show up in outpatient orthopedics organically. While I can't say I took away much else from other settings, the one exception that really influenced what my outpatient orthopedic practice was was the rehab hospital I worked in for a little under two years. For non-providers, a rehab hospital is not the one you hear about popular celebrities checking in and out of. In our wing of medicine, it's a transitional care facility you stay in that is entirely focused on our wing of medicine. It is for people who will likely go home, but aren't able to safely go yet. Think of the really catastrophic incidents that can happen in life. Being run over by a car, breaking your neck, an elderly person who lives alone having both of their knees replaced at the same time. These are the kind of problems that end up in the rehab hospital. There's one catch to being placed in this kind of facility, though. You must be willing and able to participate in three hours of therapy seven days per week. Some meet the right criteria that they will likely be semi to fully independent at some point in the future. They also have the grit necessary to go through the grueling process of three hours of therapy every day with no days off. It's intense. These people are candidates for a rehab hospital. What the rehab hospital taught me was that the combination of how an injured nervous system can adapt given the right pressures... It also showed me how compensations can create an illusion of new normal, when in actuality, the new normal wasn't a limitation of a broken body, but a limitation in the right nudges for the body to continue adapting. Most importantly, it was the beginning of my understanding how little I and everyone else really knows when it comes to rehab medicine, or even just all medicine for that matter. Shortly after my time in the rehab hospital, I was introduced to a system of diagnosis and treatment called Mechanical Diagnosis and Therapy, or colloquially called the McKenzie Method. This system is extremely polarizing. People either love it or hate it. This is true with most systems of diagnosis and or treatment and physical therapy that were invented by a human. Systems invented by humans that actually have some valid, something valid behind it will gain notoriety and participation. Then, the inevitable end point point is that it develops both a cult following and a similar amount of people who aggressively denounce it. To me, this level of extreme polarization is a perfect representation of the biases that all humans have. Something invented by a human who claims superior knowledge compared to the general provider population always has this end. This is because the inventor is still human and has the same blinders we all have. The in-group who follows the system love it the outgroup chastise it as bullshit. I would love to see a middle ground become more prominent. Recognize the value these systems that have cult followings have because they garnered a cult following for a reason. Then, apply where appropriate, instead of vehemently denouncing a system you don't like. We're all clueless on the human body. Let's try to approach the problems we're presented with together instead of trying to tear each other apart. The McKinsey Method was my first continuing education series after school. In this system, I did what most people do with a shiny new continuing education class under their belt. I tried to shoehorn every patient I saw into it. By the end of my career, I found that less than 20% of my patients were actually candidates for this method of diagnosis and treatment. However, what the system did for me was lay the groundwork that you can't possibly know why something has occurred. All you can do is take what is presented in front of you and start a diagnostic funnel. Test, trial and intervention, retest. It looks for causal relationships, but never states that it knows what is responsible for the patient's problem. While I found myself using the system less and less over time, it was foundational to everything I did moving forward. Assume you know nothing, assess the objective evidence in front of you, only formulate a hypothesis without any assumptions or conclusions, then apply trial and error against the hypothesis. Over the span of my outpatient orthopedic career, I worked with approximately 15,000 individual patients. I can probably count on two hands how many of those patients did not receive some kind of test of mechanical presentation at least once per week. I may not have applied the McKenzie method for most of my patients, but I did use the fundamental philosophy behind it. The next system I was introduced to was the myokinesthetic system. This is a very new system with research being conducted, but to date, it only has published case studies and low-sample-size studies. Here I am, identifying as a scientist in my approach to physical therapy, citing and using the scientific method, and participating in a a career that heavily stresses evidence-based practice. I completely and entirely own that because of this system, half of my practice was not evidence-based. And yet... This half was crucial to the phenomenal outcomes I helped my patients achieve. It wasn't just doing the system that made it essential, though. It's what I learned about the nervous system through application of the system. Under normal circumstances, being introduced to a non-evidence-based system would have immediately made me walk away. In this case, it wasn't introduced to me outright. It was inad- I was inadvertently exposed to the value of the system without me knowing what was going on. There was a PTA I worked with for a while who, to this day, I will still say is a better provider than most PTs. Her clinical reasoning ability and application of interventions were top tier. So when I had patients who were appropriate for her to see, she would get them every single time. This allowed me to continue working on the advanced complication cases that weren't appropriate for her while also managing the wait list of patients I had. One of the things I started to notice was that I would send her patients from time to time where I was stalling in progress. It wasn't so much passing it off to her to solve as it was a coincidental transfer of care when things would happen, like I go on vacation, or scheduling conflicts would occur, or even a patient calling last minute trying to get an appointment. What I started noticing with these coincidental situations was the patients who were stalling with me would break through the stall and start making significant progress with my original plan of care. I finally came to her one day and asked, In co-signing your notes, I've seen you documenting neuromotor retraining manual therapy prior to doing the exercises. I'll admit that my assumption was that you were using tactics I use for motor control, but I'm also noticing that when the patient sees me next, they're performing way better than when they were prior to seeing you. This has happened enough that I'm thinking you're doing something else. What are you utilizing? To trim the story length down, I'll summarize the rest. She told me the name, myokinesthetics, which I'd not heard of before. She also did a treatment on me to demonstrate what it was while explaining the system. I don't need to go into a whole orthopedic history on myself, but I'm notoriously a mess. In particular, one of my shoulders is locked at about 110 degrees of motion. For non-providers, it should move 180 degrees. It's been this way since at least my teenage years when I first discovered it. It's also been the reason that in any group class setting, when a technique demonstration on the upper body requires audience participation, everyone volunteers me for the demonstration. I don't mind being volunteered by others, though. This has been a problem many teachers and experts have tried to crack, but no one had up to this point. Back to the story. She did a treatment for my lower back and legs, and when I stood up to move about test how I was feeling, I ended up finding that my shoulder range in motion jumped from 110 degrees to 165 degrees. Never mind that my shoulder range increased by a wide margin more than anyone else had been able to accomplish in the past, it was done via a low back treatment. Needless to say, that same afternoon, I booked the next myokinesthetic system class I could get into. For the rest of my career in physical therapy, when a patient was a candidate for this system, it was consistent that the patient would have dramatic improvements by applying it. It also started to teach me how the body cannot be looked at in segments. While it is entirely, the system is entirely focused on posture and the nervous system, it is an aggressive reminder that, of something that I think gets lost in our training and early practice years as physical therapists. Physics applies to the whole body at all times. It also taught me more than just the typical generalizations and afterthoughts about the back and forth between the peripheral and central nervous systems. Finally, it was through the lens of this system that I really came to understand what it was to be a professional athlete. The system's treatment effects let me see the insane changes their bodies go through with minimal effort. More importantly, it taught me how to spot the tiniest nuances in everyone else after seeing the same giant changes that would occur in professional athletes the myokinesthetic system revolutionized my practice. To me, it walks the line between pure nonsense versus simply not yet proven. Is it quackery, or will it actually change the world once it's scrutinized under high-quality and high-quantity research? I have no idea, but looking back, evidence-based or not, I would still take the same path I did if I were to start over. The next step in my journey came through functional movement systems. Specifically, their evaluation tool called the Selective Functional Movement Assessment. I was always intimidated by this system, starting when I was introduced to it in PT school. It was, I thought, a lot to try and learn in a weekend continuing education class, then really hard to implement. It turns out, I wasn't wrong. The learning curve was steep. It's not that it's particularly complex in its philosophy, it's just that in my opinion, putting the philosophy in practice efficiently and effectively is measured in months to years. However, the philosophy is so incredibly sound that I dove in deep to the system once I finally did the coursework. Fundamentally, functional movement systems, or FMS for short, starts with the premise that you can't possibly know what deficits and dysfunctions cause a patient to hurt. However, If a patient is lacking any dysfunctions, then they aren't likely to hurt. They have conducted a great deal of research to validate this statement. If you have dysfunctions, you either hurt now or will likely get injured within the next year. If you don't have any dysfunctions, you don't hurt right now and are unlikely to get injured in the next year. I've always felt and frankly yelled to anyone who will listen that why someone is in pain cannot be established today. However, I've also always felt that we should still try to strive to understand why, even in the face of impossibility. It's a losing task, but the second you think you know the why is the second your blinders go up and you potentially miss incredibly important information that would help your patient get better. The philosophy at MF- FMS doesn't claim to know why, but it is a really good at- of answering what? It is a tool to assess the entire body's movement patterns and find where problems exist. That's it. It's up to the provider to figure out what to do about it. But you've got a far greater chance of helping a patient if you have a list of problems than if you just assume you know what's going on. Going through the training for this system reintroduced me to the concept of biomechanics as a treatment, not as an academic topic, just sitting in the back of my head, had largely forgotten about since school. I found a comfort zone in this. My judgment is far less sound than that of biomechanics. I don't know anything, and neither does anyone else. But at least after assessing you, I know where the body broke down under the weight of physics. I can now go about my job trying to correct things, because, after all, the evidence is strong. If you don't have any dysfunctional movements, you don't hurt. FMS has an approach to treatment as well, but they make it very clear at the beginning of the advanced certification. Quote, this is not how to correct dysfunctions you found in your assessment. It is only what we have found works for us. I appreciate that the advanced certification in their system is a lot closer to a Socratic seminar of, "Here's what I do. What do you do?" Their approach to intervention is pretty solid though. It's still predicated in physics, but at the same time tries to apply how our body is put together and the brain that drives it. It starts with what we did as babies. If you can't breathe, or more specifically don't use the right muscles for breathing, you can't roll over. If you can't roll over, you can't crawl. If you can't crawl, you don't have the stability to kneel. If you can't kneel, you don't have the stability to stand. If you can't stand, you can't walk. So if your breathing mechanics are off, what makes you think you can walk? I've always liked this approach. Get the body back to doing what it evolved to do over millennia by starting at the foundational developmental level and build from there. It felt like a rational approach to trying to correct the list of problems found in the assessment, and then you can always redo the assessment to test the results of your interventions. I mentioned that the myokinesthetic system was half of what made my practice excel. The philosophy and tools from the people who built FMS was the other half. I've done other continuing education in the past that all became part of the tapestry of my practice. I did coursework with the Postural Restoration Institute studying lymphatic system as a complement to orthopedics, Graston technique, all kinds of things. However, everything else I studied was to serve the foundational principles of resetting the nervous system control to baseline, restoring functional movement patterns, and letting physics be my guide. I'm going to leave off with a patient story that effectively sums up my practice. I was treating a lawyer who was a partner at her firm. She always had a deep scowl on her face even when she was telling a joke. Of course... The look of being very angry worked out well with her very snide sense of humor. We got along great. I loved that sense of humor. She fit into the category of most people who came into the clinic. Dysfunctional movement patterns, years of orthopedic debt built up that finally came to a head, in her case being low back and knee pain, and a high level of stress impacting the other two things I just said. She got the standard spiel I gave about the results of the movement analysis, Speaking on how the body works as a unit and how I need to unpack all of the compensatory movement patterns the analysis showed. One of my common talking points comes on the heels of a single leg balance test. 1 in 10 pass this test on a good week. 0 in 10 pass it on all the other weeks. I always like to educate as I go because, like I've said before, I need to get buy-in to my plan of care. Not everyone can link balance and low back pain. No patient can link foot pain and movement dysfunctions in the neck except a couple of biomechanists I treated before. We start the single leg balance test with a target time of 10 seconds while maintaining form. She lasts less than 2 seconds. This isn't something against her. Most people fail just trying to get into the test position. I say, so let's talk about this test for a second. You weren't able to maintain your balance for even 2 seconds. What makes you think you can walk? She responds, well... I walked in here, didn't I? I juggle. Sort of. But your postural control was way off screwing up your breathing mechanics, destabilizing your low back, and your hips are locked up destabilizing your knees. Her scowl continues. All right, fine. I get your point. Walking is deeper than just walking. This aggressive speech between us wasn't anger. I'll remind you. We had a good relationship. She pushed hard, and I pushed back. We ended up having more laughter in our sessions than most of the patients I've worked with. Anyway, she was running a few minutes late one day. She came in and sat down. I'm sorry I'm late. I was in a meeting with one of the other partners at my firm, and a con- and we had a consultant who just wouldn't shut up. As soon as we got off with the co- consultant, I got up to leave. The other partner asked me where I was going, and I said I had to go to physical therapy. He decided that that was an opportunity to keep talking to me. He said, oh, I didn't know you were going to physical therapy. What's going on? I responded, Apparently, I don't know how to breathe or walk, and left the office. What she said to her co-partner pretty much sums up my entire practice. If you were in my office, you didn't know how to walk or breathe. Signing off for today, never settle for mediocre, but be careful how hard you burn striving for greatness. Sometimes that cost is more than your mind can afford.